I'm Kelly Coffey, CEO of City National Bank. Our Conversations podcast features in-depth interviews with innovative leaders from business, entertainment, and nonprofits. Now is the time to rethink, reinvent, and renew yourself and your business. Hello and welcome to Conversations. Today we are thrilled to have the extraordinary Brian Weinstein as our special guest. He's my great friend, but more importantly, a visionary philanthropist, entrepreneur, and catalyst for positive change, and Variety's Philanthropist of the Year for 2023. In 2003, Brian co-founded the Opportunity Network, a national nonprofit organization with a mission to empower underrepresented students by providing a clear pathway to college and thriving careers. The organization's commitment to access and community support has transformed the lives of countless young individuals. Beyond his profound philanthropic work, Brian's influence extends to diverse domains. He is the founding owner, partner, and board member of Angel City Football Club, a national women's soccer league team. He's on the board of the U.S. Soccer Foundation and XL Sports and holds the prestigious role of president and COO at Bad Robot Productions, a powerhouse in the film and television industry founded by J.J. Abrams and Katie McGrath. I am so excited to have Brian share his story with us today. So, Brian, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be able to get the chance to talk to you. Well, I'm excited to have this conversation. So thanks for taking the time today. I want to start by going back to your early career. I'm going way back. Okay. You be right, way back. You began as a White House intern during the Clinton administration, which is fascinating. So I want to hear a little bit of what that experience was like to start. First of all, you're dating me from, from the job. <laughs> so no thank you for that. <laughs> The West Wing is really small. So I think the first thing when you go to work that first day and you're super young and you're, you're just out of college, you know, you you have this vision of something big. And it's always stuck with me like they should have just made the hallways larger. <laughs> so that's my one takeaway. So but how I got there, which really will lead into the Opportunity Network, is I was very political and very into these sorts of issues. And I interned for my congressperson uh, in college. And it was my, you know, last year going into my senior year of college, and I was a, I was a bad college soccer player uh, at Yale, and I decided to go to Indiana, where I would train with the University of Indiana soccer team, and they were like the top team in the country. And I got out there, and I realized two things: one is I miss politics, and two, why was I, you know, getting my butt kicked by these guys who were so much better than me every day? So about a month in, I, you know, called the person that I worked with at. Uh, at my congressperson's office and said, hey, is there anything I can I can do? And and he turned out to be friendly with someone over at the White House. And I had I had not applied, but because I had done a good job, because I'd been a nice young person, because I had kept in touch with this sort of older person, uh, he said, I'll throw, I'll throw in the resume. And I pushed my way through it um with with uh with a little bit of luck and a little bit of timing and moved directly from Bloomington, Indiana in a car overnight and the next day showed up uh, as a White House intern and was there for a while and loved every minute of it. But it was a reminder that, you know, everything you do leads to something more. So when I was there, in addition to the office being small, uh, it was it was, you know, everything you would hope it to be. It was ridiculous and amazing and empowering and incredible people in the hallways. Um, so I, I have a lot of fond memories of it. And it did kick me off into a lifelong love of those issues and, and politics and more. You went from politics to entertainment. You've been now in entertainment for a long time with 12 of those years spent at CAA, big talent agency. Um, and now you're the president of Bad Robots. So you've seen a number of different sides of it. So I'd love, love for you just to cover your journey into the industry. 
Uh, well, you know, I, I had an advantage that I didn't realize I had, which is I didn't want to be in the industry. So <laughs> I, in fact, married someone, uh, my wife, Nora, who runs Baby to Baby, who you know well. And um, and I married her while we were both attorneys in New York. So after law school, I was practicing and she said, we're going to move to L.A. And I said, there's no chance. And shortly thereafter, we moved. And though I loved entertainment and though I love film and television, I love sports. Uh, that was not the path I thought I would take. And so when I had the opportunity to meet, you know, Brian Lord, I navigated and networked through 17 different uh, angles to get in front of Brian. Uh, I wasn't nervous because I I didn't want it. I just wanted to meet this uh, this person that I thought was extraordinary. So when I met him, I think I came off as someone more confident than I was because I, I didn't care of the outcome. And he turned to me and said, Hey, what are you doing right now? And I said, Well, I'm, I've just moved to LA and I'm, you know, leaving law and I'm going to go work in finance. And he said, well, Why don't you come here? I'm shortening the story. And I said, What's the job? And he sort of said, Well, my partners and I, it was really Richard, Kevin, and, and Brian and David O'Connor at the time, have decided we're going to go for it and we need someone just like you. Uh, and so I went home, I had dinner that night with Brian and Richard, and I went home to my wife who was from LA and said, I, I think I might go to this place called CAA, but I don't even understand it. And she said, no, 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 you're not from here. You should say yes. So I did. Um, and it kicked me off into this incredibly fun and exciting and totally surprising world. And the fact that it wasn't the thing I always cared about, I think gave me the distance to be thoughtful and analytical, um, and, and really enjoy it. And that was the beginning of a, a long journey. Uh, through the innards of the entertainment industry. It was, it was fun um, and and lucky to happen, but turned out to be a great foundation for a longer career. Yeah. And I think impacted. So I want to think about, talk about the ways that impacted your career and your approach to philanthropy, because I think that ha- gave you some good foundations. But why don't we do that as we transition to talk about the Opportunity Network? So that's a nonprofit that you co-founded in 2003. And it's a big milestone year for the organization. You're celebrating 20 years Congratulations, Thank you. Um, which is fantastic, right? And you honored, I know, Trevor Noah at your gala this past May. Um, so I'd love to hear, let's start, let, everybody would love to hear a little bit more about the organization mission, and then we can get into some of the other parts of it. So, I mean, the, the founding principle um, was that often the most impressive students, often but not always first-generation immigrants, but always students who find themselves underrepresented in, our, in the power structures of this country. And, you know, our belief way back when was that the systems created blockages, created um, barriers for so many deserving people. And as the founder, I understood that that I had benefited from some of that privilege and that, you know, everything beyond school, everything that leads to success beyond good grades is often really hard to unlock and you can be blocked from the keys to unlock. And so the founding principle was, hey, I have this network. I love networking. I love connecting. Could we create an alternative network, a new system in which those extraordinary young people could build it up on their own with our help and ultimately lead to significant change? And so that was the the, the core idea was to create this new network. And it's been 20 years since then, but I can tell you the very brief story of kind of how we got going. So I was a an associate at Skadden Arps. Uh, I had been at the White House, I had been at the Department of Justice, Civil Rights Division, and I realized I was leaving behind the stuff that I cared about immensely. So I put together a very bad PowerPoint presentation, <laughs> uh, and I walked across the street to my college classmate from Yale, who was at a consulting firm, uh, who I know cared about the same issues, and I showed her, her name is Jessica Pliska, the plan, um, and she said, I'm on board, uh, and we decided to go build, and we 
we were, this was, this is dating myself again. We didn't have, we didn't have iPhones. We had Blackberries. And so we were low, super low level people at a consulting firm at a law firm. And we snuck out at lunch, jumped on the subway, the four, five, six downtown. And we went and saw principals in downtown New York, kind of on the back of September 11th and explained what we wanted to build. We needed a class of 10 extraordinary students to start to build out this program. And we found this amazing principal in lower Manhattan and we started with a group of 10 and and like, you know, twice a week, we literally left the office, didn't tell anyone where we were going, took our Blackberries, our big blue Blackberries, uh, and checked them every once in a while and taught our first class. And that was the very beginning. Uh, and then it's been 20 years of really, you know, week in, week out work building the organization. Amazing. Obviously, extraordinary people uh, involved. So that first class, what did you what, what did you talk about? How did you approach that? So what, what, what's amazing, and this really hasn't changed. I mean, the, the the specifics have, but the substance hasn't, which is if you walk into a high school kind of anywhere and you find students who are who are often underrepresented in other areas, you realize that they're not as exposed to a number of the things that 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 you would be. So for example, these students had lived in New York City their entire lives, but they'd never walked up into the big buildings that they that they'd walked past so many times. They didn't have friends or family who were CEOs of banks or who worked at banks or who were who were in all sorts of different jobs. So we really just said, let's just bring great people in and let's start, let's try to copy what you know a Harvard Business School class would do. Let's do case studies. So let's recruit great executives to come in, tell their stories, and then let's put those executives on the hook and make them offer internships at their companies. So we started with that very simple premise, 10 students um, downtown. Um, and and it stuck and it worked and it evolved. But the core idea, which is stuck today, was what we call career fluency, which is everything that 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 is necessary to career success, except for academics. All of the soft skills, Kelly. How do I look you in the eye the first time that I see you? How do I make sure I write the follow up email? How about what does my social media look like? Or way back then, what is that? What is literally? the how what is my email address because these were students who had like their yahoo or aol accounts had the wrong stuff you couldn't <laughs> send in a resume for kids and so you know we fell in love with the students we fell in love with the mission um but it became really clear really early what it was that we were that we were going to set out to do yeah it's interesting because i think showing them the inside of the buildings and giving them those case studies so powerful i mean i was i was on the board of a great charter school in new york for so long kip nyc and just taking the kids um, which started in the Bronx and just taking them to a college campus so they could picture what that might be like. And, and I think those, those social, you know, the social side of it was really, really powerful. And so it's interesting, a couple questions I have about that. Cause I, I, you know, addressing those barriers for kids that don't have those connections, right. They don't grow up with that. It, it, it disproportionately impacts students of colors and students, you know, obviously from low-income communities, but how, how did you go about focusing on that network? Was it just giving them internships and then they were able to do it? Or have you had to kind of build other support mechanisms? Yeah, the organization is good. So I'll answer that by sort of saying where we are today and working my way back. The organization has gotten so big um, that, you know, we just have an extraordinary, you know, group of people who have built, who've taken that kernel of an idea and have built it into a very, very robust curriculum where we'll serve actively this year, 1,200 students very, very deeply and personally. So we are deeply engaged in their lives. And now, you know, broader in a broader sense, we're in 25 cities and serving 50,000 students with our curriculum, 
But you know, when you think about 1,200 students and really being engaged in their lives, that's a lot of that's a lot of you know uh, engagement and involvement. But again, going back to sort of day one, if you look at each and every student and you just multiply it uh, by a lot of people, it's the same mission. If you're a young student and you're really talented, you're going to do well in school anyway. And, you know, in like New York City schools and many schools, there'll be like one guidance counselor for a significant number of students. And so how are you even getting the advice and guidance of where to apply? Who is helping and assisting you with that process? What are your essays going to be about? How are you going to tell the story of yourself? What are you doing leading up to those essays in your summers in high school when you don't have someone to open a door for you to make it easy to get that internship? And so we tackled those issues. And along the way, it led to things we had to solve. Well, we couldn't say, what are you doing in your summers if we didn't have internship partners, right? And we couldn't help with how you're going to write, you know, your college applications if we didn't bring on staff who are experts in that. Uh, and, and so you almost saw the problems being solved. We didn't know the problems. We had a sense of the problems. We figured them out over time. And then we took this notion for every single student and we created this curriculum that could be applied to more and more to more and more people. And then the next thing that evolved was it went from the, th the next thing we identified was at first it's like, okay, you get to college, you're good. Just the opposite. That's where the journey starts because so many of our students, you know, are often like 95% of our students are first in their family to graduate from college. 93% of our students who go to college graduate. But when they get there, they don't they don't know how to navigate that system. They, they don't have someone necessarily to call at home who's done it before. They're often on financial aid and don't have someone to help handle those issues. So what is the support system when you get there? Then you get there, what are you doing in your summers? How do you apply? Like all that stuff, which we all take for granted when we have the benefits that I know I had, I had they're big, big issues. Then they lead to you, how are you going to apply to your first job out of college because you haven't done that work in school? Then you get that first job and how do you succeed? So what we we started to realize was what felt like a couple-year program was a much, much longer journey uh, that really began in 10th grade and went after college until our students really became you know, members of the workforce. Yeah, it, it isn't just get to college and it's a magic button. I think that support's really important. So you said the 1,200 students, but you, you've you helped more than 150,000 students on this journey. And then you mentioned you know some of the corporate partners. I'd like to make sure you talk about that for people listening to understand how to get involved. How do the partnerships work? What, what we've been able to do to really grow, I mean, there's, 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 I think with any, any education-based philanthropy, there's two pieces of the puzzle you have to solve. The first one is you want to scale so you can have as many people as possible. And a lot of that is through curriculum and teaching the teachers, teaching the schools, teaching the corporations. That allows you to scale, but you never want to lose sight of there's always going to be for every one person you really get involved with, you can make a profound difference. So we have that incredibly engaged program, which we call our fellows program, which is a six-year program. And so in that world, we have these extraordinary students, all of whom are incredible interns and incredible job applicants. So if you care about these issues and you're running a company or working at a company, there is no shortage we, we never get a call with an internship opportunity that's a bad call to get. We never get a call from a corporation that says, we want to help identify these great students. They've worked with us for six years. These are incredibly high-performing kids um, who not only have succeeded academically, but they've now worked on these other skills. So like our students are extraordinary. So one is to be a part of the fellows program is to immediately sign your organization up to provide those internships and to get involved in these students' lives. So there's a ton of opportunity there. Two was career fluency. So we 
we train schools and community organizations. So if you're on the boards of other nonprofits that help students, we can train those organizations to, to understand this notion of career fluency and how to bring it to their to the to the children they're often serving. And that's a big opportunity. And then finally, it's newer, but it's called Opportunity Ignited. And it's a consulting program where we work with employers who hire our interns. Um, and actually one of our board members, Michael Reese at Dial Capital uh, and Blue Owl, who's a very significant person in that world, uh, deserves credit for really taking the flag with our team in New York. And, and and building that out. So in particularly in the private equity community, um, what are you doing to recruit students like ours? And what are you doing to provide an environment for your current employees and your current colleagues to engage? And so we really work with those organizations to understand the issues, to tackle them, to help recruiting, to help with internships, and to work with our students. So those are our three buckets. And you know the, the answer for us is, we actually are 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 capable of kind of handling it all, uh, and 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 have worked with a ton of partners. Great, that's that. Those are great partnerships. So I'm I'm glad you went through them. And I think I know that the interns give as much to you know probably more to the company than what they're what they're getting back in in so many ways. But it's interesting because you saw an issue issues you cared about, and instead of finding an organization necessarily, you went out and started a nonprofit. What made you do that? Was it something you always wanted to do? Or how did you how did you get to that conclusion to say, I'm going to walk across the street and figure out how to start this myself? I'll answer it in this way is, I think one of the great things about doing stuff outside of work, right? My day job is at, is at Bad Robot, working for JJ and Katie, and, and I love it. And one of the great pieces of doing something outside of that is you get to interact with people in a different way, right? So I get to to talk to you today about a different part of my life. And I can go to all these relationships I have since I'm, you know, in my early 20s, and I can approach really important people or people I'm interested in about something that like, look, if you're not, if you're not supportive of the opportunity network, each individual can choose which philanthropies they're supporting. But you can't deny that the work that we're doing matters. And so it opens door. It's fun. It's exciting. I mean, there is a Venn diagram between doing good and also doing things that you like. So I love the idea of having to go pitch people for money. Like I just that sounded fun to me. So our first, and you know, you may know him, but our first ten thousand dollars of the Opportunity Network was from Alan Patrikov, who you know his daughter-in-law is now my wife's partner. It so turns out. But when we approached him, you know, he had he invested in Apple early. Well, I, I don't think the Opportunity Network was the biggest return on his capital, but I know that he's proud of being the first ten thousand dollars in our business. It was fun. The I, that journey was inspiring and fun, so that I could do good, but I could also do what I liked, which was meet people and be with people and engage and get shut down and try. So that was just, uh, uh, you know, kind of something that made sense. Now. You're helping people, so you don't want to always recreate the wheel. There's so many great organizations. So you do have to find your lane so you're not, you know, there's no competition. And we found a lane around career fluency and around opportunity and around networking that turned out to be really big and really differentiated, you know, but but the choice to do it on my own really was because that's kind of what I wanted to do. And that was who I was as a person. And I found this extraordinary partner in Jessica Pliska who wanted to go on that journey with me. And so we did. And I'm glad you did. You've heard heard so much. 20 years is a big milestone. Any other, you know, when you think back over the 20 years, any big moments to share? I mean, look, fundraising, yeah. I mean, 
there's 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 the moments where our students succeed, right? So we've had students win, you know, uh, Pulitzer Prizes, and we've had students graduate from extraordinary colleges, and we've had students go on to work in, you know, begin incredible careers because we've been doing it for a while. And each one of those moments is incredibly special. But there is something about an annual event, which we have, of course, our big gala, that makes you stop and take stock because you're just grinding, like in your job, right? And and you need a moment to stop, and so. You know, I think there's two moments that that stick out. One was the very first time we did a fundraiser. I called a bunch of friends and we picked some bar on 10th Avenue and 17th Street that's definitely not there. Um, and it was a cash bar, of course. And it was just all my friends and it was super loud and we didn't know how to throw an event. And I think we charged like $20 to get in. And then like the bar was going to give us like 10% of the cash bar. And I got up in front of everyone um, and I thanked everyone for being there. And I was so happy. Um, but I had no microphone um, and it was super loud. And I, of course, didn't realize that nobody heard, but they didn't care. They were happy to be there. They were supporting a friend. And, you know, we made like a couple thousand dollars. And I always think about that moment of how little we knew, but we didn't, we were so oblivious to the fact that we had no idea what we were doing. Cut to this year, which was really special, was we had this incredible 20 year gala in New York with a thousand people. And all of our students, we have a student from every, we have a student from a bunch of years come up and they tell their story and they're just incredible. One student, uh, Luke Monbamba is a, a West Caribbean immigrant and he's going to Princeton next year. And he told his story and it was just extraordinary. And then, um, and then this, this, um, Andre Williams, who's, you know, CEO of an, at American Express, we honored Andre, who's a remarkable human being and him talking about, you know, that he was honored to be on stage, not the other way around. And then lastly, when Trevor, no, who is really just, you know, of course, an incredibly talented comedian and has inspired us in so many ways, but he is so soulful and mindful and committed. And seeing him in front of that room and the room getting quiet with the students watching him. And one of our students said we'd gotten an internship on his show. And seeing that room to me, after 20 years, finally slowing down. And I'm such a, he's such a hero of mine, Trevor. Um, that was really impactful. So it's all the little things, right? It's all the, the good things, the bad things along the way. And then every once in a while it stops. And I think the bookend of like this ridiculous bar uh, at downtown Cipriani, um, you know, where we did raise a ton of money and did put, push the mission forward um, encapsulates it for me. It's great reflection. So to, and to say philanthropy has played a big role in your life is truly an understatement. And I, I know you mentioned up front, but just to be clear, your, your wife, Nora, is a powerhouse in the philanthropic space. I know her well. I love her. She's the co-CEO of Baby to Baby, which is an incredible nonprofit that provides diapers, clothing, necessities to children in poverty. They're dealing with um, what's happened in in, uh, in Maui, the terrible tragedy now. They're always right there, first on the scene. And I know the government relies on them for distribution of, of a lot. So it'd be great. Just, you know, the two of you are so committed to giving back. Talk about why that's so important to you and, and maybe what you've learned from just watching her experience in the space, space too, how it's helped you, I'm sure it has, uh, build your organization. Of course. And, you know, I I am feel lucky every day to be next to Nora and her partner, Kelly, but Nora is my wife. And I, and I, and I watch her each and every day and each and every night build this organization. And the thing that's always dawned on me, which is so different than my day job and and our and our for-profit jobs is the reward for succeeding in philanthropy and the reward for succeeding in building a nonprofit is just to do more. It's just to make impact. There is no IPO, there is no sale of the business. You, you know, you 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 build an organization 
and you have all the same problems and issues that every real company does. So you have factories with you know lighting problems and electrical problems, and you have the usual set of concerns with employees. And in Nora's case, they have trucks all over the country, and you know they've distributed 300 million items in 150 cities in the U.S. And FEMA is calling them, and they're getting planes to Maui. Like that is hard work. That is not glossy and shiny, which is often been a big part of philanthropy in Los Angeles and in New York and baby to baby. It is just day-to-day hard work of making sure, you know, the plane is packed the right way and the trucks are packed the right way and you have safety issues. So like amidst the glamour of a gala and amidst the headlines of being in that world is the absolute bricks and mortar and, and the hard work that it takes. And so what, what I've been so proud of is to sit next to my wife and watch her do that when they're when we're sitting and we've got Netflix in the background, you know, or, or something where our sports on or CNN on, and she's just working late at night because those things matter. And and for the only reason that I want to do more. And so to me, that's been a reminder every day of the importance of it, the importance of the work and the motivation of the work. And it's hard. It's not easy, but it, it's it's worth it, of course. Um, and yes, it's 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 really fun to 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 be Nora's plus one uh, <laughs> socially and in life, and and to watch what they built uh, at Baby to Baby is is inspiring. It's extraordinary. It really is. And I think you know, as you think about the impact you've had and what you've learned, I think you you've seen up front the the power of adding diversity and inclusion and kind of drive companies, performance, innovation, success, and you've seen it probably in both parts of your life. What have you learned about that? Well, I mean, look, I think I'd like to talk about, you know, J.J. Abrams and Katie McGrath about their, you know, relentless commitment to those issues, um, both out in the world and within our company. Um, And I think the lesson is that journey never ends for all of us, right? It is not a linear path of progress. There is forward movement and backward movement. And you just have to fundamentally believe what I do, which I know that they believe in, which is that you are a better company with a diverse set of voices. You're a better company with people who bring different perspectives. Business will be better uh, and you will have better outcomes. And if you fundamentally believe that, moving away from that goal just makes you worse as a business. You know, and I know that I have the opportunity network has given me more, far more than I have given it like that. Those, you know, it feels good to feel like you're doing good. It feels important to feel like you're making an impact on other people's lives. And so if you, if you actually get a little bit selfish and say, wait, if I do this, it's actually going to help me. And if I do this, we're actually going to be a much better company or a much better organization or a much better world. You know, I get reminded of that. And certainly a bad robot and from JJ and Katie, I get reminded by watching Nora doing what she did, you know, and I even think like I learned so much from CA about that. So I think I've been perhaps lucky, but maybe purposeful to find myself in positions where I could constantly learn from that commitment. But the headline for me is it never ends. You're never there. You never will be. Um, and the minute that you stop is the minute you'll take a step back. Yep. I like to say it's a movement, not a moment. And it, exactly it does right. never, it does never stop. And I think, and I think, you know, going back for a sec to the opportunity network, mentorship is is critical for everybody for their professional growth. We all have uh mentors that we talk to and and compare notes and different issues that we're dealing with to try to solicit advice. You know, you you talked a little bit about the opportunity network, which is facilitating that for students from diverse backgrounds. So 
what advice would you give to leaders when they're trying to prioritize this or or some advice to the mentors in terms of how to work? To me, the number one thing is the mindset of wanting to engage, that getting finding joy in the engagement. So like I I do a lot of like if I get a cold note on LinkedIn, like I'm on LinkedIn very purposely because I think it actually breaks down barriers where some student from anywhere in the country can write me directly. And if somebody writes me a great note, I mean, if it's sloppy, then that's then they haven't learned the lesson of what's necessary. But like, if you're thoughtful, like, I'll, I'm not going to take an hour, but like, I'll engage. And you have to engage, you have to actually say to yourself, I'm going to engage not just to be helpful, but because hey, I'm going to learn like I look at those moments. And I like, I mean, there was a, a young student from Florida who reached out to me. And I, and I, on LinkedIn, and I took the Zoom. It's like a 15 minute Zoom, but I was like, okay, I need three minutes of your time. What are you watching? What do you care about? What do you, what do you not, what do you see? Like you learn so much because you're in your bubble, but you have to change your mindset from like, okay, I'm going to do my good deeds. Now it's not good deeds. You're benefiting too. Just flip it to part of your growth mindset. To part, I mean, particularly as I get older, like, let me tell you something. Every time you talk to someone younger, you learn. And when they're a lot younger, you learn a lot and you don't get many of those chances and you can't go through life just saying, hey, my kids did this. Therefore, the world is this way. That's not accurate. Uh, and so I, I think the best lesson is engage in it because you realize it's going to make you better and more well-rounded um, and engage it because you care. But when that when caring and and your own benefit come together, really good things happen. And I and I do. I mean, I don't think everyone sees it that way, but a lot of people do. And I think they're rewarded. Yep. And it's about getting it. You do get more back and it's about getting those diverse inputs. So um, you, since you're in entertainment, I can't, I can't not talk about what we've just seen Greta Gerwig's Barbie smash records um, at the box office. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, telling diverse stories is something I think the, the industry has, is, is more committed to. We just, we just um, had my great friend, Sarah Harden, who, you know, well, CEO of Hello Sunshine on the podcast, and she was talking about how they're working to share stories of women in media. And I think representation has come a long way, but which is from your seat, where should the industry be focusing its efforts on trying to create opportunity for those who may not have as much access as others? I mean, look, I think that, look, in, in particular, and this is why the journey of the Opportunity Network has been the 20-year consistency of it which we've done quietly and without fanfare has melted a lot, is that we all know the world sort of rewoke up to these issues a couple of years ago. And there was all this fanfare and some of it was real and some of it was not. And my answer is really very simple, which is if we just delivered on the things that we said we were going to do and we just didn't get veer off of that path, we would do fine because our industry is good at reacting. It's good at pronouncing intention. But you just have to follow up. And that follow-up is not the press release. That follow-up is the work. And that follow-up is the is the part that's not covered. And that follow-up is when, you know, when times are difficult. Are you still going to commit to the things that you know will make you better? Well, if you believe that that's going to lead to better outcomes, to better box office, to better viewership, to better companies, to better decision-making, then it's easy to say, wait, we're having a tough moment. Of course that matters. It matters even more. So I just think it's like, it's not the specific, it's, the industry has declared its desire to do certain things. Whatever those public pronouncements were, let's live up to those. And let's keep working on them. And at moments where you stop, you've got to remind yourself to the campaign promises you've made as an organization, as a human being, as an executive, 
regardless of what level you are in the organization and and, and follow through. And that's hard, but it's it, it, it adds up over time. Whether whether people notice or not remains to be seen, but over time they'll notice when change happens. Yeah. And it's good business too. So it, it does take follow-up and and I think it, it'll be a benefit for for the world. It's it really is an industry that has a massive impact on the world because of the stories, because of the representation, which I think all can has the power to change as we've seen over and over. So I always like to close conversations with a look ahead to the future. And I can't not talk about soccer with you. All right. Talk a little about Angel City. And um, you know, it's your you've got a passion about growing the women's soccer sport in the U.S. So I think you should talk a little bit about how great that's been. What's great is to watch the world really adopt the women's game is thrilling and significant and will matter. And I am incredibly bullish about women's sports in general, but in particular, since you asked, I'll talk about Angel City. So I was lucky enough to be part of a, a group of people um, in the early, early days of, of Angel City. We have you know, three extraordinary founding women, Karen Norman, Julie Ehrman, and Allie Portman. Um, and because I'd been very involved in soccer in a number of ways, uh, I was lucky enough that they approached me very early. And my response was, I'm 100% in, and gosh, your projections will never happen. We're not going to turn that many people out that quickly. This is going to take time. I couldn't have been more wrong. And, you know, they brought in uh, um, Alexis Ohanian as a main investor and my my friend and colleague, David Nathanson. Um, and we took this wonderful approach, which was to create an opportunity for a lot of people to invest uh, into this team and create a groundswell. And if you haven't been out to an Angel City game, anyone who's listening, it is extraordinary. My favorite part of being in this in the stands where there are 21,000 people screaming is not what people think. It's not, oh, is there, are there fathers and daughters? Are there little girls? It's actually when I look over and my son and his five friends are watching the game and they are just watching a sport. They're cheering. They're getting angry. They're angry when you, know, you miss the breakaway. They're screaming at the refs. It is not dawning on them that they are watching women's soccer. They're watching a sport that they love. And what Angel City is doing is it's just taking a beautiful sport with incredible athletes and it's delivering it in an incredibly exciting way with a great brand and a great team. But what's thrilling is that people just view it as a great experience. Um, and then, you you know, the game ends and you realize they're extraordinary female athletes. But it's it's been one of the most fun things I've ever done and so much credit to the team and Julie Ehrman and what she's built but um, it's really special. And I think women's soccer is going to go on a great run. The league is bringing in amazing new investors. And I think you'll continue to see that that growth for a very long time. So finally, what advice do you have for any person or organization who wants to make a positive impact in the community, given all that you've done? So thank you for asking that. I'm thrilled I got a chance to answer it. Um, it's it's sort of simple, and I say this to people a lot, particularly younger people. It's like, just start, like just start. So I'll meet super smart, you know, young professionals, and I'm like, what 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 you're missing at? Join a junior board, start something, create, find the thing you like, and get involved. Because not only will you be, you know, excited about, not only will you feel good about yourself, not only can you make a difference. But it's going to have massive career benefits. This is our thing was about networking. I mean, the, I've met incredible people through the Opportunity Network. That's the point. But don't wait for the perfect thing. So, you know, to me, we have a junior board, for example, at the Opportunity Network for exactly this reason. So find your find your thing as early as you possibly can in your life and get involved and get engaged. 
and it will pay you back. Don't wait for the perfect thing. Don't wait for the shiny opportunity. Um, and if you actually enjoy it, if you're not doing the thing, look, there are many causes that matter that you might not enjoy that someone else enjoys. Find the thing you actually want to do and you want to spend your time with. Um, and you'll be surprised. One, you'll you'll be better at it. And two, you'll enjoy it and you'll get a whole lot of benefits. And you'll look back, hopefully 20 years later, like I did, and be really proud of some of the stuff you've done. I, I just jump in. I guess great advice. And I think just even speaking from an organizational point, I mean, City National is a place that that cares a lot about purpose and giving back to the community. And I have to say that it's a major benefit to culture when you do that as an organization together and people understand it's important and you talk about it and you give time as well as money. I mean, nothing's more fun when our team, you know, than our team's uh, volunteering together for baby to baby and we're racing on who can pack the backpacks faster. And, you know, they're, it gets that whole competitive juice flowing, but it also does bring an organization together. So I think it's, uh, it's incredible. No, and, and, I, and I think being a part of community the way City National has just in, in a broad sense, like it's, it's place in many communities, but in particular Los Angeles where we live and, and doing it through business and philanthropy, it does, it does change the way people feel. It does change the way people look, not only within the organization, which is everything, but outside. Yeah. And, and it's impactful and you can have fun along the way. And you have a great time. Exactly. Well, Brian, I can't thank you enough for doing this. All the, all your wise words, congratulations on all the tremendous impact you've had. And thanks for sharing it with us today. Well, thank you so much. It, it does, it does matter to organizations when you get a chance to talk about them and shine a light on the work. And I'm, I'm grateful to get a couple of minutes. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll subscribe to Conversations so you'll never miss an episode. We have lots of great guests this season who will inform and inspire you. 